0: Uh, you know, uh, one of the things I was thinking about this morning as I was just trying to get ready and to get myself together and all of that, you know, is uh, I find it hard to believe sometimes that, uh, that some probably 12 years ago and uh, for maybe 20-plus years, I did this uh, almost every Sunday, uh, generally at least three Sundays a month, sometimes four and even more. And uh, But I find that the further I get away from that, uh you know that uh it's not quite as easy as it used to be so uh i'm just praying for a little grace on that uh in that behalf uh but just the same uh we just pray that the lord will bless his word this morning uh this is not uh you know this is not my text uh, it's what the lord gives through his spirit and it's just my remarks and my comments that are kind of added along to that and so we just pray that he'll bless it this morning So before we uh, go into our study, let's just have a little prayer, and we'll kind of talk about this text a little bit. Father God, we just come to you, Father, this morning. just want to thank you, Lord God, for bringing us together in this way, Father, to worship you, Father. Uh, We just pray, dear Lord, that our time together, dear God, would be a blessing to each one that's here, that we'd be encouraged, dear God, that we'd be lifted up by our time together in worship and praise, dear God, and even God at the time at your table as well. Heavenly Father, we just pray, God, that uh, the words that I speak this morning might be, uh, might be from you, Lord. We pray that, God, that you would just work in me and through me, Father, to deliver something that would, uh, that would uh, lift us up, dear God, that it would teach us, instruct us, and encourage us, Father, that we might be better servants of yours, Lord. I thank you, Father, for our time together once again. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to uh, just be looking at Matthew, the 23rd chapter. And just for a little bit of context, um, you know, beginning probably in uh, the 21st chapter of Matthew, uh, of Matthew's gospel, uh, it kind of starts to focus on Jesus' uh, last week of ministry uh, before the cross event. And of course, um, you know, all through the course of his ministry, Uh, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so forth, uh, they've always been uh, Jesus's detractors. It just seems like at every turn and at every step, uh, they have worked against Jesus, uh, whether by just trying to discredit him in some way. Uh, There was even a time earlier in his ministry when they tried to, uh, to eliminate him then, And even now, as we move closer to the cross event, uh, that's really their focus at this point. They really feel like Jesus needs to be eliminated, whether it's by discrediting him or ultimately by just getting rid of him altogether. Uh, Probably just a couple of weeks ago during uh, Holy Week, I talked on Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And in that chapter, uh, you remember the religious leaders They came to Jesus with just a series of questions, uh, what they thought to be very difficult questions, and hoping to trap him in his words, hoping that he would say something that would uh, discredit him with the people. And really, if they could accomplish that, then basically it would really be the same as eliminating him and getting rid of his life altogether. But of course, this was Jesus. This is the Lord. Every question they put before him, he answered it perfectly. And so the Bible tells us at the end of that chapter, at the end of chapter 20, 22, it says basically from that time forward, no one asking any more questions after that. And so essentially, uh, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they felt like, hey, we've been defeated in our purpose. And it seems like from this time forward, they're just bent on getting rid of Jesus uh, by taking his life. And so that's kind of where we are now. Well, all of that's kind of come to a head, and it seems like that at this point in time that Jesus is really like, okay, uh, I've got to let people know about who these guys are. And so what we have in chapter 23 is just really a scathing rebuke of the religious leaders, of the scribes and of the Pharisees. And we're going to just see that uh, throughout the course of this chapter. And basically what I've got on the screen here is seven woes that he basically sets on the scribes and the Pharisees, on the religious, the religious leaders. Now, once again, one of the things about this is uh, this is the last sermon, or we might say the last public discourse of Jesus that we've got recorded in Scripture, and really what it is, it's a staunch rebuke of these religious leaders, and it's really intended Uh, not only to rebuke them, but it's also, I feel like, it's to instruct the crowds that were following Jesus, those who had sought to follow Jesus. And there are a great deal of things that we can learn from this chapter as well. In chapter 23, beginning uh, there, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, They sit on Moses' seat, and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift them with their finger. You know, when you think about that, that's just a a horrible leadership style, isn't it? You know, it used to be said... uh, Kind of in the old days, or I've at least heard it said in the old days, you know, uh, parents would say to their kids, uh, you know, do what I say, but not what I do. And, you know, for those of us who are parents now, we we fully should know and understand that that just doesn't work. Because no matter what frame of leadership that we're in, whether it's in the home as parents, or whether it's in the workplace, or whether it's here even at church, when we're leading people, we we should uh, we should know and understand that we need to model the behaviors and the attitudes and, and all of those things that we expect people to uh, that we expect people to to do. So it just doesn't work when uh you know when it's a thing where uh do as I say and not as I do. No, we need to model the behaviors that we expect people to to model as well. And that's something that Jesus uh, rebuked the Pharisees for. You know, the Bible tells us in, uh, that you know they had really quoted the fifth commandment probably on many occasions that says very simply, honor your father and mother. The scribes and Pharisees, I'm sure that they taught that to their disciples and to their followers many times. Yet, you know, Jesus in Matthew the 15th chapter, he cited them for transgressing the commandment of God by their tradition. You remember back over there in Matthew the 15th chapter that they had this thing called, called Corbin where essentially they could take their, their, uh, their finances or their possessions or their goods and rather than use those to, uh, to help or assist their parents who were needy, they could just very simply say, well, this is dedicated to the temple or this is dedicated to the Lord. And in doing that, essentially they could basically get around uh, helping their parents or assisting their needy parents. And so even though, yeah, they, they taught God's word, they taught the laws of Moses, they often failed in actually practicing what they preached. And that's, once again, one of the first rebukes that Jesus had for these scribes and Pharisees. He said that they sit in Moses' seat. You know, Moses was essentially, uh, you know, God's prophet, Uh, He was the giver of the law, and not only was he the giver of the law, he was uh, charged with instructing people in the law and even trying to see to it that they followed the law. Well, Jesus essentially said, well, in that regard, yeah, they sit in Moses' seat in that they are the ones who are the teachers of God's law. They are the ones who are kind of the, the keepers of God's law. But yet, you know what? Do all that they command you to do because they're teaching you scripture, he says, but don't do according to their works. Don't practice what they preach. He went on to say that they tie up these heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You know, uh, once again, horrible leadership style. I don't know, maybe perhaps some of you, I don't know, have had a, a boss or a supervisor who just hand a, hands out work assignments like they're handing out Christmas candy. And yet when you go by and you, their office and you see them, they've got their feet up on the desk or they're leaving early to go to the golf course or something like that. And we look at that and we know and we understand that that's not a proper way to lead people because we want to model the behaviors that we are setting before those we are leading You know, um, many years ago, back probably in the early 90s, back when I was working for uh, TWA, an old defunct airline that I started out with, you know, Howard Hughes was the owner of that airline. And some of the old guys that were around in the 60s say that it was nothing for Howard Hughes to come through the engine shop with coveralls on, and he would actually get involved in working on the engines right there and then. Here's the guy who was actually the owner of the airline, millionaire, multimillionaire, and yet it was nothing for him to jump in there and get his hands dirty and work on the engine. And that's a leadership style that people can, can appreciate. And people kind of, you know, even though Howard Hughes later in life became kind of crazy and you know a lot of things about his life, but yet those who knew him and saw him up close respected him because of his leadership style. The scribes and the Pharisees, they laid heavy burdens of tradition and legalism on the people, Uh, rules and regulations related to things like the Sabbath. And we see that a lot throughout Matthew's discourse. You know, we talked about earlier about this thing of hand washing and all of those things, all of these various laws and rules and commandments that they set before the people. And you know what? Jesus says, they won't even lift them with their finger. Jesus' leadership was more like what we see in Matthew chapter 11 where he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we talk about the burden of Jesus and following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus Christ, It doesn't mean that uh, there's uh, no commitment involved because there certainly is. It doesn't mean that there's no discipline involved because there certainly is, but yet we'll find that the yoke of Jesus is easy and his burden is light. Jesus went on to say that they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But he says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted." You know, when we just look at the scribes and Pharisees, what we read about them in Scripture, you know, those religious leaders, they wanted to look better. They wanted to look higher. They wanted to be more esteemed than everyone else. They wore what made them look like they were somebody. They wanted to sit at the best places in in the feasts and places of honor. They wanted to wear titles that, extinguish them, distinguish them above others. But you know, contrary to all of that, Jesus came to establish equality. That was all against what Jesus came to establish among his followers. You know, it's often said that we all stand as equal at the foot of the cross, and indeed that's true. You know, Paul said in Galatians chapter three, he says, for in Jesus Christ, he says, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, that's the message of the cross. Jesus came to gather us all in one and make us equal. And of course, you know, we come from Different societies, different parts of uh, social order and things like that. There are some rich, there are some poor. There were slave and they were free back in that society. You know, there are different colors and different political views and all of that, but Jesus came to establish us as equal in him. Jesus prohibited all of those titles and things that set one person above another because We have one instructor and one father, but there's something more that we should learn from what Jesus says here. You know, we think about it, those who have a servant's heart and embrace servants, embrace servitude, they really don't care much about titles and status. But then on the other hand, when we look at it, those who are hung up on titles and hung up on status, they really don't care much about serving generally. And so I think that there's an attitude that goes along with this. That's why Jesus quoted at the end of this that, you know what, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said very simply that I didn't come to serve. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And once again, we see Jesus, and we see Jesus in his His leadership and the beauty of what he sets before us, we see Jesus counter to the leadership of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, that brings us to verses 13 through verse 36, where Jesus announces seven woes on the religious leaders. Now, woe is very simply an expression of extreme grief or anguish, and it really characterizes just how seriously Jesus viewed the flawed leadership of these scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. You know, in verse 33, why were he in such anguish? Well, he said very simply, how are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? And so that's why they were woe, if you will. That's why he said, you know, it's going to be bad for you guys. It's not going to end well for you all. In verse 13, he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And I'm going to kind of go through these pretty quickly, but just say a little bit about each one. You know, when we think about this, how is it that the scribes and Pharisees shut the door on the kingdom for those who wanted to enter in? Well, you think about it, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus, they both came preaching the kingdom of heaven. They came preaching the kingdom of heaven and essentially opening the door for the kingdom of heaven for all who would enter in. But you know what? Rather than support and encouraged their ministry, the Bible says that they did everything they could to hinder the ministry of John and Jesus. They were so occupied with maintaining their hold on positions of authority and honor that they failed to see John as God's messenger, the pre-runner of Jesus Christ. And they failed to see Jesus as the Messiah the Jewish people had long been looking for. In trying to hold the spotlight on themselves and their brand of religion, they, in effect, they shut the door on the kingdom to others, and not to others only, but themselves as well. You know, I think about that passage sometimes. I wonder in there, is there a message for us? I wonder if sometimes we perhaps shut the door on the kingdom for others because we fail to present Jesus Christ uh, as he should be presented. In all of his beauty, if we fail to really by our actions and by our example, if we uh, shut the kingdom, uh, shut the door on the kingdom, because when people see us and we represent the kingdom, we don't properly represent it as we should. Well, we know that the scribes and Pharisees didn't do that because essentially they worked against Jesus. They worked against John the Baptist and those who would. Essentially, open the doors of the kingdom to others. In verse 15, uh, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You know, we talk about a proselyte, essentially he's talking here about a convert to, to Judaism. And so it essentially... Uh, the, the, the scribes and Pharisees, they prided themselves on training up others, perhaps God-fearing Gentiles or whoever the case might be, uh, training them to be uh, followers or converts to Judaism. But Jesus says, you know what? In doing that, you make them him as much a child of hell as yourselves and even more so. You know, in Matthew, the seventh chapter, Jesus taught the principle that a diseased tree will not produce good fruit. Uh, He was speaking in that passage. He was talking about false teachers there. He almost had his eye then on the Pharisees and on the religious leaders and on their flawed leadership. He said a diseased tree cannot produce good fruit. The religious leaders taught an extreme legalism and works-based religion that had no power to change the hearts of men. Their followers will become what they were, essentially. The effects of legalism are often cumulative. Each generation becomes more tedious, with more rules, and becoming less tolerant, less patient with people than the one before that. And I think that that's what Jesus is talking about here. He said, you scribes and Pharisees, you'll make converts, but they'll be just like you are. They'll teach the same type of doctrine, the same flawed form of religion as you're teaching, and they'll be just as bad as you are in times to come. In Matthew 23 and verse 16 through 22, uh, Jesus says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Where's Jesus going with all of that? Well, we, we know that earlier in his Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so that's part of it. You know, the scribes and Pharisees made a Uh, seems like they made a habit of swearing by this and that or by making these oaths and and essentially uh, kind of the principle that Jesus taught is let your yes be yes and your no be no and simply very simply our word can't be trusted doesn't matter how many oaths or how many things we swear by or how great of things we swear by our word's got to be our bond and you know that's certainly part of what Jesus is saying here, but I think that there's a larger issue that Jesus is dealing with here with the scribes and Pharisees. It seems like the religious leaders, they place their emphasis really on the wrong things. They place their emphasis on the gold of the temple instead of the temple. The temple was supposed to be the dwelling place of God himself, and yet it seems like they were more enamored with the gold of the temple than the actual dwelling place of God. They placed more emphasis on the gift that was on the altar rather than the altar that actually made the gift sacred. You know, without the altar, the gift was just very simply food. That's all it really was. They placed their emphasis, it seems like, on things that really to move God out of the picture and replaces him with their own values and their own ideas and you know I think that that's what their flawed brand of religion actually did it it placed value and emphasis on the wrong things and what we deem to be important oftentimes versus what God values and that is essentially the problem in this text I believe Yeah, he deals with this problem of swearing and and making oaths and things like that, but the real problem was where their values were and where their priorities lied. They were pushing God further and further out of the picture. And you know, once again, essentially, I just can't emphasize it enough, oftentimes that's what legalism tends to do. It places emphasis on what we do and what we can accomplish and how we can get closer to God rather than what God actually does in us, through us, and for us. In chapter 23, verses 23 through 24, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! He says, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat, and swallowing a camel. I have to confess, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty well know, most of you know that there was a time when I was a legalist, and uh, I placed a lot of emphasis on the things that I did instead of things that really were important to God. i Reveled in the fact that I had the right form of worship, the right uh, plan of salvation, and all of those things, and placed a lot of emphasis on the things that I did or the things that I could do, and I really taught that and promoted that. And, you know, that's kind of how the scribes and Pharisees were. They were tedious in doing the little things. And some little things are important and perhaps shouldn't be neglected. But there are things that really, that God really values. And the religious leaders were sorely negligent in those things that God values. You know, Jesus quoted Hosea in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, when he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, he just told us a little bit about where the heart of God is. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Now, he laid forth the sacrifices for the children of Israel, but yet he saw mercy and treating people fairly as greater and more important than those sacrifices. When asked what is the greatest commandment of the law, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. But then secondly, it is to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that show us or what does that teach us? When we look at this passage, you know, the heart of God is not in a 10% share of tiny herbs that the scribes and Pharisees were putting forth. But Jesus says it's in the weightier matters like justice and mercy and faithfulness. How we honor God. It's not in the little things that we do or we think that we're doing that make us better, but primarily it's in loving God and loving people, treating people fairly, showing mercy when it's appropriate, and the things that God does shows us where his heart is. These next couple are pretty closely related Verse 25, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. In verse 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Once again, these two woes are very similar. You know, throughout this chapter, Jesus has called the religious leaders hypocrites. And perhaps when we look at this chapter as a whole, when we look at all of these woes together and all that Jesus has to say here and all the rebukes that he has of the religious leaders this is probably really the central thing that he's pointing to, is them as hypocrites. The term hypocrites comes from the Greek word hypokrites, which basically means a a play actor. And you know, when we think about actors, they're going to wear costumes and they play a role that makes them look and act like something or someone that they're not. And so really, generally speaking, when we look at an actor, We see them play a variety of different roles. They put on a variety of different faces. They play a variety of different characters and different things like that. But that not necessarily shows who the actor really is. Well, that's the thing about the scribes and Pharisees. They displayed on the outside. Who they displayed on the outside is not who they were on the inside. Jesus says that they appeared righteous because of the garments they wore. They appeared righteous because of where they sat in the synagogue. Their titles and their knowledge of Scripture made them appear like they were righteous, but their hearts had grown cold and callous, perhaps towards God and towards people. They had little regard for people, especially the poor and marginalized of society, and they were proud and narcissistic. They cared more about status and power than they did about the things of God and the heart of God. You know, just an example, we can perhaps buy a used car that really looks good on the outside. It's nice and shiny. It has good tires and all of those things. But under the hood, that car is really just a lemon. And it doesn't perform well. It doesn't perform and do what it's supposed to do. And that's get us from point A to point B. And in like manner, Jesus compared the religious leaders to Dishes that were clean on the outside, but they were filthy with greed and selfishness on the inside. He compared them to tombs that were ornate and beautiful on the outside, but the inside was full of uncleanness and sin and hypocrisy. And beloved, this morning as we strive to follow Jesus and be disciples of Jesus Christ, It's inherent on us that we are cleansed from the inside out, that we allow the Spirit of God to change and transform our lives and that we'll be people that not only look good on the outside, but inside we're pure and have the hearts of God as well. The final woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you built the tombs of the prophets, and decorate the monuments of the righteous. You say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Jesus says, thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakia, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. The scribes and the Pharisees claimed that they wouldn't repeat the sins of their ancestors, ancestors who had killed and persecuted the prophets of old. But Jesus rightly prophesied that they would fill up or complete the work of their fathers by persecuting and killing the messengers and servants of Almighty God. And you know, as we continue to read through the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, that's exactly what happened. They continued to persecute and kill, first starting with Jesus himself, And then, of course, his messengers, the apostles, prophets, and those who would speak on behalf of Almighty God. Now, because of the sins and hypocrisies of those religious leaders and their forefathers, sins that have accumulated for generations, Jesus predicted that judgment would come upon that generation. Jesus was pointing to the future of Jerusalem and to the entire Jewish nation. I think next week, Terry is going to talk on chapter 24 and tell us a little bit more about this judgment that would befall them. But you know what? Jesus said very simply that this is just a fulfillment of everything that you of all have done before. Your forefathers, your ancestors, they killed the prophets and the messengers of God. They would kill Jesus and continue to persecute and kill his messengers. I guess what's the point here? What's the message for us? Well, I think that along the way here, as we look at the scribes and Pharisees, as we look at those religious leaders, I think we can learn what we ought not to be. And essentially, Jesus pointed to their hypocrisy. In other words, their looking like more than they really were and brothers and sisters in Christ I think that we just need to be honest with ourselves and as we look at ourselves in our own lives ask ourselves have we really been transformed from the inside out allowing Jesus to fill our hearts and our lives and for him to dictate how we live our lives and point us in the right direction towards God As we come to the table this morning, I want us to think about where we are and who we are in face of Jesus and in face of what he's talked to us about this morning. The lesson is yours. Thank you.